Today's episode of Tampering is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks on any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co forward slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to Tampering with Sam Amick and Joe Varden. that we all cover this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh, uh-huh, to be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? And the charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to put in coming around trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that what I'm just trying to I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering NBA Podcast at The Athletic. As always, I am Sam Amick, NBA Insider, here with my fellow NBA Insider, Joe Varden. Joe, my friend, I think, I believe, I think I'm accurate here. First time you and I are going to wrap and get into things. While you're at an NBA arena, in the middle of an NBA game, I have it on in front of me, Cavs and your lovely city of Cleveland, your home region, down by 10 to the Minnesota Timberwolves. What's up, brother? What's going on? Yes, I'm in the bowels of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse here in downtown Cleveland in the state-of-the-art media room, which, of course, they completed after LeBron left. Um, Got all the bells and whistles in here, obviously uh, fantastic acoustics. And then what I'm looking at is this giant multimedia screen in the top left corner. I've got the Cavs game. Top right corner, I have the stats. Bottom left... We've got the Golden Globes, and uh, and then in the bottom right, there's some kind of college game. So uh, we're here um, at halftime of this game. It'll probably get crazy loud in here, um, so I'm sure our listeners will like that, but that's where we are. Will that be the sound of Dan Gilbert yelling at you for the story that you wrote this week? <laughs> well, I don't think Dan cares uh, one way or the other, but, you know... Um, I, I, I'm not sure that the front office, the, the people who were the target of Kevin Love's ire, I, I'm not sure they appreciated it. All right, quick backdrop and context. On today's episode, uh, Joe and I are going to dive deep on the two stories that we, we both put out in the past couple of days. And, and Joe, as I alluded to, and Sham Sharani at our place did a really nice job pulling the curtain back on the latest with Kevin Love, who clearly is very frustrated in Cleveland. Did a long interview recently with our buddy and colleague Jason Lloyd where anybody who read that piece at The Athletic could tell that it was Kevin's taking the high road way of kind of sending the message that he was ready to get out of town. And and now you're seeing, it seems, outside looking in, Joe, that the frustration keeps bubbling. You and Shams reported that uh, that he was very frustrated, that he had a lot of words for Kobe Altman, the Cavs GM, 
followed that night in the game with, you know, something everybody saw on the court when he gets frustrated with Colin Sexton. He's, you know, kind of throwing the arms up in the air, asking for the ball. Um, You have been in that region for a while. Anybody who doesn't know this, Joe covered the Cavs as their beat writer uh, for quite some time. Um, So, you know, that lay the land really, really well, just, Give us the two cents, you know, last couple of days, what, since the story came out, um, you know, how did you guys dig into it and, and what do you think the ramifications are? So I was at the arena, uh, working a story that I bet I end up not even doing. Um, it was, it was Saturday and I get a call on the phone from Sham saying, Hey, here's what I got. And, um, you know, for just to remind everybody, uh, Shams and I had also done the story that, um, that. Most of the Cavs players don't like John Beeline. Um, that one went a little differently. The, that was a story that I had taken the lead on, um, talked to, you know, multiple players to, to kind of run down that story. But this one, you know, Shams had had it from, from sources that something, you know, pretty significant had gone on at, at Cavs shoot around before they opened the doors. And I just said to him, Hey, I, I'm here. I'm actually at the arena. I can, help flush this out if you, if, if you would like. And, you know, of course we, we wanted to do that. And so, um, just kind of working the scenes and kind of working in the shadows, I was able to, to figure out, um, what, you know, the, the, the details that we didn't have and, uh, then kind of race back into where I am right now in the seat that I'm in right now and, and wrote it up and, and got it out there. Very, very quickly, buddy, because uh, I, I, I'm not good enough at this. I forgot to tease earlier for the non-Cavs, non-Kevin Love interested folks out there. We're going to talk uh, Kyle Kuzma, Lakers, West Coast stuff later in the pod. That's what I had dived into. But I think the massive uh, massive part of our audience, Joe, is going to tune in for this story because cool. Kevin is one of those huge names, right? We've been wondering where he's going to go. We've been wondering where his head is at. He signed that monster contract not that long ago. And it was one of those potentially uncomfortable situations when a superstar like LeBron leaves town. Uh, we didn't know, you know, if they were going to put that offer on the table for Kevin. And, you know, it didn't seem to be in line with where we assumed they were headed to a, an overall rebuild. Uh, you feel for sure like you could have seen this coming from a mile away. You know, how did we get here? Yeah, I mean th- – what happened last night almost never happens, and I think all of the NBA is watching this from the standpoint of like before the game started, we had that story that says, okay, there was this crazy blowout. Uh, Kevin, you know, the lone all-star left here from the championship days, like screaming at the general manager, not the first time this has happened, more Cavs drama. Um, so, yeah, big deal, right? And and the story starts to, to go viral and, and people are clicking on it and it's great. And and then about an hour later, there's 24 seconds left in the first half, and Kevin is freaking out um, because I don't know. <laughs> he said the, the the explanation we got later was that he was upset with Beeline for calling a different play when Chris Paul was on Kevin. So Kevin saying he wanted the ball with the smaller Chris Paul on him, he wanted to to back him down and get a bucket, and John had called something completely different. Um, most of the internet saw it a different way. They saw Kevin being frustrated with Colin. Um, whatever the case was, Kevin was throwing his arms up in the air, uh, screaming at somebody, and then they finally gave him the ball, and he takes it with two hands and chucks it at Jetty's feet, Jetty Osmond's feet. 
And so within the span of an hour, you have the story followed by Kevin in real time, just, you know, going, going off again on, on, on the team. And it's because of this frustration and because he wants out and because they're not playing the right way. And or as far as he's concerned, um, you know, they're, they're 10 and they're, you know, they're 10 and 25, I think right now. And last year they were 19 and, and whatever. So, um, I, I mean, he he doesn't want to end his career that way, and and he wants out, and I, I think he's starting to feel desperate to try to get out. You made such a good point that people are applauding you in the background. Yes, that's right. The the the, the, the room adjacent is it's like a live studio audience. So <laughs> uh, you know, there's only so much we can control here. No, let's keep going. Um, here's my thing, and again, because you're closer to it, you've you've been around it for a while. I want you to kind of help translate here. Someone earlier tonight on Twitter, I wish I could give credit, I forget who it was, but they had compared the Kevin Love situation to so many that have come before with with stars that take the money and then turn around and on the back end act as if, you know, they're just stunned that the team isn't in a place where they're enjoying themselves, where they're not competitive. Um, with Kevin, where do you fall on that discussion? He's got $90 million after this season. Um, you know, he, he was very candid in that interview I mentioned earlier with Jason Lloyd. I remember he flat out said, and, and nobody could blame anybody for this, that listen, when that kind of cash gets put in front of you, you have a hard time just saying no. And I get that, but it just does seem like now it's unraveling in the kind of way that considering how well liked Kevin is across the league and listen on a non-basketball level, all the goodwill that he is with good reason generated with the mental health, uh, kind of initiatives that he's been a part of all that stuff's been amazing his PR is not wonderful and the optics are not great I think of of kind of the way he's handling this where do you fall there I think rather than say what I think he should do I think what I can do is explain how he's approaching this if if you're in Kevin's mind um, you don't think that the only place you could have gotten this gargantuan contract is from the Cavs. You think if you would have hit the free agent market after last season, you would have gotten paid um, and it would be fine. And so you're not – you don't look at it from the standpoint of, oh, um, the Cavs were the only team that would pay me like this. Um, so I should be happy that they did and just try to get you know get along. He looks at it from the standpoint of when they came to me with this contract offer, they told me that we were going to compete, that we were not going to tear it down, that we were going to try to remain competitive. Are we going to win another NBA title? No. But can we be the seventh seed? Can we be the sixth seed? That was the message that was delivered to Kevin and delivered to the other veterans that were returning after LeBron left. And then even before Kevin got hurt, which he did in the preseason, but even before he got hurt, they started to see signs that that actually wasn't true, that the team was already – the front office was moving in a direction of trying to start a rebuild. And then when Kevin left with surgery, um, things fell apart immediately. They fired Ty Lue. They started trading veterans. And so if you believe that you are – uh, if, if you are Kevin and you believe you could have gotten that money anywhere, um, regardless of, wh- of whether you signed in Cleveland or not, then you look at it from the standpoint of they were not upfront with me when they offered me this contract. You and I, you know, fans, we, th- we raise the question, is that actually true? Could he have gotten that money anyway or was this his only opportunity to get paid $120 million over four years? Right. 
Right. That's the thing. I mean, there's part of me that says, I think the vast majority of folks are going to call BS and say, you know, even if the Cavs were going to be mildly competitive, <clears throat> that we all knew that it was going to be a, a dark time. Anytime LeBron leaves town, that's mostly going to be the case. Um, but I hear you to spin it forward. You know, obviously a lot of people wondering what it means, what the timeline might be on a Kevin Love deal. If in fact he is going to get moved, uh, February 6th is the trade deadline. You know, I poked around this past weekend with some other teams to get a sense of the Kevin Love market. And I don't feel as if much has changed as far as the usual suspects and the candidates. Um, Portland becomes the first team that most people mention. You have the the vehicle, if you will, of the Hassan Whiteside contract that the Blazers have, $27 million. If the Cavs wanted to simply get off of Kevin's money and then figure out you know, what other sweeteners might be involved from there, you know, we know Kevin's personal ties to the Northwest, and certainly those Blazers who continue to be five, six games under 500 need the help. Uh, you hearing much on that front in terms of other possibilities? No, I, I mean, I think that Portland is the is the team that you keep hearing. Um, the, the thing that I say about this, Sam, is that the Cavs, their company line has either been, well, he's too valuable to trade, which is that they've never actually believed that um they always would have taken the right deal for kevin um but then they have been kind of sticking to well the right deal for us is this we need a, a cadre of picks we need a young player and yeah we'll take your money we'll take we'll take your your bad contract that you can get off of um but we need those things if we're going to trade a, a player of kevin's uh, caliber they need to recalibrate that, and I think they are beginning that process. I think this has gotten so ugly so quickly that they need to say, um, "Let let's just move him and then figure it out." So, if you want to do a deal with the, with the Blazers and it's straight up money for money, and worry about uh, finding draft picks elsewhere, I think you got to consider that because this is this has become a thing. And and I don't think it's going to get better. I think that um, I mean when you have a player of Kevin's, just not only caliber but just his, I guess is his standing within that locker room, sort of <laughs> just. I mean I, I don't know if waging war is the right way you want to say it, but but he is just at odds with front office, maybe coaches. I don't know. You know, it's it it trickles down beyond just him and 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 who he's upset with and it it kind of goes everywhere so i think i think the cavs are starting to think that through well and to that point um i you and i didn't even talk offline about this so my curiosity lies here is post game last night i don't know if you were there i know our kelsey russo was our beat writer was was getting reaction from john beeline and, and some other guys in the locker room but paint the picture of, of how the story landed in real time uh, in the locker room. I mean, Kevin in particular, you know, I, I wonder he put some stuff on Instagram and Twitter later that night saying that, you know, essentially that his, you know, picture was being painted about him that he didn't say, you know, didn't think was accurate. No specifics were offered. I don't know if he was talking about the encore stuff or your guys piece at all. Uh, but what, how, you know, what was the real time human reaction here? So the story dropped about a half hour before the game started. And so then as, as we were talking about at the top, something so out of the ordinary happened on the floor involving him and sort of the other parties that, that he has been tied to in this manner in, in, you know, before. And so, I think that was the discussion post game and certainly the Instagram post that, that Kevin had 
was um, refuting this idea that he was upset with Colin, and that's why he was was going, uh, why he was so upset on the floor, and that was actually the only question that he took uh, was about that. the The press conference ended with him before he could actually even be asked about our report. Um, you know, John Beeline took those questions as well. He was just talking about how he took responsibility for Kevin being upset, saying that he called the wrong play. Um, but so like that's where it is. I mean I talked to some players afterwards and they, they said they weren't mad at him. Um, they that they knew what he was doing. Like they they just you know they get a sense of this. Does it surprise you? Because it does me, uh whether it's Kevin, whether it's Anthony Davis last season, uh, I mean I guess you should chalk this up to just, you know, peer respect within the NBA, but you can have high level players causing a lot of chaos and a lot of noise. And it's few and far between that. You're going to find a a fellow player who they might be thinking certain things, but they're not going to admit that publicly and and probably not even, you know, on background or, or privately with a reporter. I mean, you know, AD last year, that, that just stunned me where you would have guys on the Pelicans, you know, drew holiday guys like that, where AD and and Rich Paul, his agent were making a ton of noise. and, And you felt like, you know, the players around him would probably be so sick and tired of it uh, because of what a distraction it was. Um, it sounds like, you know, you're kind of having a similar reaction in Cleveland where guys just say it's part of the business and, and he's handling his situation. Yeah, I think so. And and also like it it's it's gotten it, it has accelerated. I mean, it, coming into the year, Kevin realized that he hadn't played much last year and that he had some repairing to do of his on court reputation just because he's been hurt so much over the last three years and he was in a good place he had a good attitude and and they were actually winning for a while for or like for like the first couple of weeks I think they were four and five at one point and then they just fell off a cliff and I don't know if he felt I actually don't know this I don't know that I don't know if he felt that some of the losing was deliberate that there were some decisions made to make sure that some distance uh, was created between the Cavs and the eight seed or if it's just a matter of the losing came naturally and he um, started just to hear those hear people talking about him like oh yeah right. like Kevin you need to get out and so it's somewhere in there um, but it's it's accelerated and I think it's left the station last one for me on this front buddy uh, uh, sources tell me that uh, you might have had some some Cavs officials uh, you know sneakily following you around the building after this one and before you answer it's like listen whether it's this story, uh, I don't know if the listeners realize that these jobs, we have extremely unique, uh, weird, entertaining jobs, right? And part of it is, especially, to be honest, at The Athletic, where we do get supported a lot when it comes to reporting what we know to be true. And, and you know, if there's really, if it's newsworthy, if the fans would like to, to know about it, most of the time we're going to run that story, uh, you know, if it's basketball related. But that comes with pissing people off and having franchises wish that you wouldn't report certain things. It's a fairly regular occurrence. Uh, you have the, uh, the Cavs kind of watching you closely at this point, it seems like. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, you know, the way this works pregame, um, basically up until there is about 45 minutes left, you can sit or stand on the court at most of these NBA arenas um, or, or stand off to the side or sit off to the side. And so I parked it. I decided to park tonight on the opposite baseline from the Cavs bench, hanging out, just uh, seeing who might have come by or just watching people warm up, kind of playing on my phone. 
Um, and, and one of the, the PR folks who see like they're busy. They're typically busy. They have stuff to do pregame. Um, but one of them, you know, sat down and, and was making small talk. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, this is fine. Um, I hadn't talked to this person in a little while, I guess. Um, but then I got up to go to the Cavs locker room and, you know, sure enough, like this person was coming to and, and I actually got stopped by an usher to talk, uh, to talk about Kevin actually, um, about 50 feet from the locker room. And so I didn't make it. And so this person walked by me and then stood by the door, kind of leaning against the wall, um, waiting for my next move. So I saw this. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I walked myself back to my <laughs> my seat on the sideline. Sure enough, uh, in about, um, you know, 30 seconds after I got there, that person was right back standing about 20 feet from me. So now, of course, I know what's going on. And I'm, I, I'm sorry to I, – I regret that I did this, but uh, I did – uh, go into the bathroom and make this person follow me in there, which happened. <laughs> so there you go. We There's need my... more of that applause from earlier. <laughs> no oh, my kidding. Lord. That, so, uh, Jay, so now, take care of that. Thanks, buddy. I just keep thinking of the Godfather scene, you know, where Michael's going over the bridge. They take the <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> if I show up on Tuesday, see, they're in the middle of a, of a four game homestand. Um, and the last one is Tuesday. And so if I show up for that, I may need a mustache and sunglasses. What do you guys think? I will say that's a good plan right there. I will say in general, and I don't have any incentive to to, mm. to share these stories at the moment. But like PR <laughs> folks, if you might be listening, just just know that none of you were trained in, in reconnaissance. You're not that sly. When you've changed your normal routines, we do notice. I've had it happen before. It's comical, and if anything, it makes you feel like you might be doing something right. Um, but. Uh, that that's pretty good. Did you? I'm kind of afraid to ask Joe. Did you stay in the bathroom for a while? Like what what happened after that? Um, in a uh, went into a stall, uh, sat down and left pants on, uh, and just was like texting friends that this was that this was happening. <laughs> like it, it's, I mean, it's it's amazing. Um, that kind of hurts. I didn't, I didn't get a text. Thanks. <laughs> so you know, it's funny uh, when we were kind of running down today's show, and you were saying. Um, today it's going to be an easy show because we're just going to talk about our shit. Um, and so now it's our, it's uh, it's our Whole turn. Different to, meaning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like a fit. So I so I made me nice. think of like a of like a, a therapy session. But then I guess yeah, I guess you're right. This is another way to look at it. Um, but you today uh, posted wrote a big story on how you believe that uh, that Kyle Kuzma is a young star. <laughs> talk about you know talk about missing the mark with a story what you're referencing i, I read about kyle kuzma the, the you know the kyle kuzma quandary that the lakers have i did i enjoyed writing it because it's one of those stories where there's fascinating dynamics there's layers to it and the the overall question will the lakers and their gm rob Pelinka think about using kyle as a, a means to upgrade their roster um but the headline which i have in front of me the Kyle Kuzma quandary. The Lakers are listening to trade offers for their young star. That will they make a move? It when I tweet this thing, it's it's as if there was no story attached. The entire NBA social media world reacts to calling Kyle a young star, and I don't blame them. They are correct, especially the way he's playing this year. He is not a young star. It's not quite as sexy to call him a young, underachieving role player. You know that's. Too many characters, uh, so I took a lot of flack for that. And, and as you know, 
I, you know, the follow-up tweet never gets the job done in terms of quieting the critics because <laughs> I tried. I sent another one out poking fun of myself and, and you know, when I've looked at my replies later in the day, it just keeps coming. It's all through the comments section uh, on the story itself. So that part of it was off base. The rest of it uh, is like the Kevin Love thing. And this is where there's good balance and synergy in this podcast with you and I breaking down our stories. These are two players who are very intriguing. They are very talented players who teams, you know, for the right price would love to get their hands on. Couldn't be any more different when it comes to the economics involved with Kyle Kuzma. You got a guy who uh, is in the third year of a four-year rookie contract. Uh, He's eligible for an extension this summer. Uh, He's currently, let me make sure I get this right, uh, making pennies on the dollar by yeah. by N- NBA standards, um, like three million. That. Yeah, um, it might even be less. I mean, it's one point nine million this season. Three and next three point five. Yeah, yeah. So just to have fun with numbers, I mean, it's like one sixth of Kevin's annual salary. You know, uh, for the next two years. Yeah. So the, yeah, I mean, the the thing with with Kuzma is. He is the Lakers' best trade piece in terms of like the young player that a team that's going nowhere would want if they're going to give up, uh, the, you know, the guy who can help the Lakers get over the top. The problem is, whereas um, if you're trying to move a guy like Kevin Love, he's making thirty million this year, whatever it is. Um, so you you hope you get um, or you have to make the money work that way. With with Kuzma, you're trying to use him as the guy who upgrades your roster. But the guys, the players that are out there that can upgrade your roster make way more money than that. Right. And so that's the, need, that's the quandary. Well, you need, like to use that word I used earlier with the, the Kevin Portland situation, you need a vehicle like a Hassan Whiteside. And so it's going to be a player that's likely overpaid that you're deciding to take on on a short-term deal um, you know, in order to, to make the, the money work. But here's where I find... Kyle's situation so unique and I'm sure you know something like this has happened in the past but I I feel like it's you know it's not the type of thing we see every year when it comes to a guy's uncertain future Kyle spends his first two seasons um, you know producing at a, a really high level individually you go from I think about 12 points a game as a rookie up to 18 in his second season had moments where you know going into this offseason once they got Anthony Davis you felt like maybe, just maybe, he could be that third guy in some capacity. Uh, but what has happened is he's playing 10 minutes fewer than he did last season. His numbers are certainly down quite a bit. His percentages overall are down. Three-point, he's doing okay. Uh, but he just doesn't have the same look of a guy you know, who is, is on, the, on the way up. Uh, and so how do you figure out how to pay him? If you think about doing an extension this summer, around the league, a lot of front office people that I talked to felt like, listen – the problem with Kyle is he got enough of that life, so to speak, that he looks at a Brandon Ingram, he looks at Alonzo Ball, his his old buddies with the Lakers who are now in New Orleans, and just kind of says, you know, I'm not really ready to come off that idea that I can get a, a pretty sizable contract, as, you know, as that extension this coming summer. But, you know, in terms of the here and the now and what he means to the Lakers, that makes no sense, especially because, and this is something I hadn't really kind of considered until recently and, and that partly why I wrote this was that if the Lakers get AD to resign uh, uh, like so many people expect and LeBron obviously keeps doing his thing he looks like he's going to play until uh, Bronny is you know maybe 10 years into the league is that Kyle's not going to be a starter anytime soon 
in Lakerland. And that's where, to me, it, it's interesting. What do you pay a guy like that? And then on the flip side, only he can answer this. What does he want for his career? And is he comfortable with that idea that you're going to be their sixth man behind LeBron and AD, you know, for the foreseeable future? Yeah, it's hard, um, especially for Kyle in this case. He has no power, right? Uh, I mean, he's got this year plus next year on his original deal as you wrote they can offer him extension this summer but then if he doesn't want that because of everything that you just said okay well now he becomes a restricted free agent so he goes out there onto the market and um the lakers still control him like they still control it's it's ultimately up to the lakers where he plays um if he they can match any offer sheet that he gets so you know i i think for I think in this calculus, the the biggest issue is wh- how good can the Lakers get right now? Um, Anthony Davis is awesome. He's playing great. He's playing even better than the last time you and I discussed him on this show. Um, he's certainly up there in the MVP talk, and LeBron has been brilliant, of course. So the Lakers are really good, right? But they need a little more, I think, if they're going to get by the Clippers and they're going to win a title now. And you've got to look at it that way because LeBron every day, obviously, is getting older. He's getting closer to the end, and you can't play the long game with him and this 100%. team. And so 100%. they've got to they, they've got to approach this from can moving Kyle and another piece because they'd have to uh, to make the money work. Does does doing that put us in a position to win more playoff games now? And I think that's right. question number one. Hundred percent. I mean, things that I think are worth highlighting that we cannot get total clarity on what, if anything, they mean. But I, I think it adds to the context even within the past week. Um, we had post Christmas Day, Kyle's trainer infamously uh, putting on social media that he thought that. LeBron was, in essence, dodging Kawhi Leonard in the Clippers-Lakers uh, Christmas Day game. Kyle had to answer to that because that's his trainer. Um, you know, LeBron downplayed it publicly, and I did poke around on that front just yesterday to to see if he was, you know, saying one thing and thinking another, and I've been assured that that's not the case, that he truly is not concerned about that little subplot. Um, but the, the bigger macro discussion, I think, is that whether it's that, whether it's kind of – and listen – Guys can be whoever they want to be. I don't care what they wear, look like, whatever. But Kyle's hair got a ton of attention past couple days. He, you know, he's got the slim shady look going. He bleached his hair. Um, it does project, I think, an element of youth that you know, as far as LeBron and with a point you just made, the the short runway, maximizing the fact that it's incredible at this age that he's still playing at this level. You know, the question around the league is, do they want to go get one more high level grown up? for LeBron because Kyle first and foremost is not playing all that well. He said, I think it was 10 out of 26 games scoring in single digits. Um, he's just, you know, he's not, you got to give him a little bit of time cause it's a new role, but he's just not finding a, a rhythm with that role. Uh, and so I, I don't know who that person is. I don't know if you've heard any names and that to me is the one thing where I would say maybe Kyle is still there after the trade deadline. This is not like last season where LeBron was openly trying to go get AD you know, Chris Paul's too expensive. That's not going to happen. Uh, so I don't know, you know, in, in LeBron's kind of, you know, private moments who he might be wanting to, to ball with if it wasn't a guy like Kyle. But 
uh, I do think that those factors come into play. Yeah, they do. Uh, Chris Paul was here in Cleveland on, on Saturday night, got a chance to talk to him for a little bit, and he had, I think he had 10 assists in the game. That'd be, that'd be interesting just because LeBron is the point guard now, and I think that is right. what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody else to dribble the ball, but not ahead of the other stuff, right? They're, they're looking for the third score. That's the first thing. Um, and, you know, they need another outside shooter. So, you know, is Evan Fournier available? Um, is Otto Orlando, is, is that the guy you want there? Um, so, so, I mean, you know, the, a name out there just from simply from the standpoint of who might get traded, you look at a guy like a Drew Holiday, but I, I, I just – it's hard to imagine that Griff would send him to the Lakers, um, especially for Kuzma and, and whatever else. I think the thing we need to talk about, Sam – when it comes to the Lakers, um, and again with the pressure that they have to win now, is okay, they need to get better, right? And Kyle makes nothing. He makes no money. So who? what else can they do? I mean, you know, Rondo's on a one-year deal. Danny Green, I think, is on a two-year deal, and he's somebody that you could move theoretically, but then you are already – you're taking away one of your shooters. Your team. Yeah. Um, th- I think the X factor here is Contavious uh, Caldwell-Pope. He does make money. However, he has to approve the trade. Um, yep. Does he want to go somewhere else? That's an interesting discussion. I mean that's that's what you that's what we need to say though. Here is okay. W- all right, Kyle's the best player they have in terms of who, what other teams would want, but how do they make the money work? Right, and it's you know again, if I'm a betting man, I'd probably lean towards Kyle still being there after the deadline. I will say um, this was one of those stories where, in terms of the question of. You know, uh, I reported that the Lakers are listening to offers. I know that to definitely be true. Um, there are degrees of listening, right? There's there's taking calls and listening to ideas, saying thank you. We'll we'll log that and you know maybe circle back with you. Um, and then there's when when you a team and a player just decide that they're done with one another and you actively shop a guy. The genesis of this story did begin with one team in particular indicating that he was, you know, more available than, than even the way I characterized it. Cause listen, I, I do from an integrity standpoint, when, when people tell you certain things, you've got to, you know, you got to honor that. And so the Lakers definitely are indicating that, you know, they're listening. It's not a, a case of shopping, but I do wonder in the next few weeks, if some of that noise gets louder and it's probably to a degree in concert with how he plays and how they look, because you said it earlier, like the pressure is there to win right now um and and the depth is we've seen in those clippers matchups not what they probably hoped it had you know would be at this point so you know we still got time here to to see if it develops yeah so from christmas day um I, I did a first thoughts from Christmas Day, and I led them with Kyle with this very line. Um, Kyle is either their trade piece or he is the player that can get them to the finals. Um, he, he is the he on their current team, if you assume that LeBron and AD are who they are and don't get hurt and don't have a, a, a slip up, anything like that. They need the third guy. They need the third scorer, and certainly anybody of anybody on the Laker roster – it's Kyle. And so the, a, a, a fairly sizable portion of that story went into this idea. And all of that was written before the trainer flap. 
um, right. which looked bad, right? I mean, really? you you yeah. were talking about it earlier, and and so I think that um, I think I've seen a lot of reaction to your story today, and like I, I did some stuff on NBA TV, and they were talking about your story before I came in um, for for a Kevin segment, and and they were reacting from the standpoint of, well, Kyle's probably gone because his trainer said this shit and you know and you just can't do that you can't talk about lebron they can't have drama man like look at i mean whoever would have thought we would say this but but look at model citizen in lakerland dwight howard and the fact that when he came in the concern was is he gonna create any drama and he hasn't and i think the guys around lebron and ad know that it's an all business type of season now that's tough for kyle because he didn't put anything out there it's his trainer you know what i mean and and he spoke to it. I do give him credit to, to give him a little slice of positivity. Uh, he spoke to the L.A. media the day after this happened, and I, and I don't think that was initially the plan. I believe they actually spoke to him at a team hotel. I forget what city they were in. But but Kyle and Lakers PR had gone to great lengths to have him address that story. I think that was the right way to go. Um, but it does, unfortunately for him, the optics of it fall into that category of nonsense, immaturity, you know, the, the type of youthfulness they had before when Lonzo and and uh, Kyle would go at each other on social media. Like that's LeBron doesn't have time for that. Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd, AD, all those guys, they don't have time for that because this is a championship or bust type of year. Uh, and then, there's, you know, now the looming question of whether or not he'll be part of it. Oh, absolutely. And and last year, I mean, they, you know, Kyle was talking about how, oh, you, you guys know this. We, LeBron and I have a great relationship. Well, no, that, that you don't. Um, last year, as LeBron was sort of bristling at all of the young guys in that room and how nobody was playing the right way, um, Kyle was in that group, certainly. And Kyle was also right. among the, the players who were talking about his getting traded uh at lebron's demand and didn't like it just like lonzo didn't like it and just like uh brandon didn't like it and and was emotional about it and and so yeah i mean they they were not they were not buddy buddies they have found um you know that they have found kind of a sweet spot to hang out a little bit and maybe to lebron's teach him about wine and and those kinds of things that that's good um but they weren't you, you know th- this this wouldn't be like um if i don't know i'm trying to think of somebody like when lebron was in cleveland um like a JR who LeBron had a relationship with or like a Tristan who he has a relationship with. Like if one of them mouthed off to LeBron, which occasionally happened, um, they would be okay. Right. Like, like it's fine. Um, like LeBron and Kyle aren't there yet. Uh, and I don't know if they'll have the time to get there, but, but yeah, so that was, that was awkward. And, and, you know, it might, it wasn't Kyle's fault. Uh, it was, he couldn't control his trainer, but, but geez, that was ill-timed. It was hundred percent. My last thought there, he's, he's got to, you know, kind of channel the, uh, the Flint, Michigan version of Kyle Kuzma. And, and honestly, this is, you know, I, I know it might sound unfair to share this, but Intel does matter around the NBA and, and just the chatter and what scouts and executives are saying. And it's, you, you know, if you ask folks about Kyle around the league, there is a, a feeling that, you know, the LA impact has been there on him personality wise. Um, and this is the time for him to be, you know, the chew on the glass, you know, be the best version of yourself on the court, humble type of player who who fits in with the rest of that group and, you know, see where that takes you. Um, it's not, you know, the time to, to kind of 
be out there more than you should be. So we'll see what happens there. Before I let you jump, brother, and, and just to, to give you the quick update, I'm sure you're really dying to know what's happening inside that arena that you're you're in. I mean, you've missed a, a tribute. <laughs> There's been a tribute to some Cavs players. Mark Price was one of them. Uh, I'm sorry that you couldn't stand an applause for that. There has been a, a bunch of old folks dancing at halftime. You missed a halftime show. Uh, David Vanderpool of the T-Wolves is now getting interviewed. So let you get back to it, but spinning it forward to say goodbye. Where are you, where are you going next, brother? Yeah. Well, I, rather than that, I, I wanted to say all these guys that are, that were being honored at halftime. Um, you know, I, I grew up here. I grew up in Cleveland and certainly the Cavs were my favorite basketball team. And my dad owned a small fence company in Akron and he, um, he did a fence in like 1988, I think, for his company did for Gary Briggs, who was the Cavs trainer then. And, uh, as part of everything, um, my dad got Gary Briggs to get the whole team to sign a to, to sign uh, their autograph on Cavs letterhead for me, and and it's framed. I still have it. And it was Mark Price and Craig Elo and Larry Nance and Brad Doherty and Mike Sanders. Uh, Lenny Wilkins, the coach, was on there. Um, some of the other guys they had here, like John Battle. Some of those guys are, were a little bit later uh, tenured. Gerald Wilkins, another one. But so yeah, so it was kind of a. It's it's always kind of cool just to to go down that path, kind of do that kind of memory lane thing. And and Mark, you know, I mean, he was coaching with the Nuggets last year. He'd love to be an assistant here in Cleveland. I, I get a chance to talk to him every now and then. But yeah, you know, it's a it's a rough time here in Cleveland for the Cavaliers. This is their fiftieth year. It's going to be one of the worst years in team history. And so anytime you can get a chance to have a night like this where you can celebrate something cool at halftime, you take it. And so, you know, good for them. That sounds good, my friend. I'll let you go with that. When we chat next week, I'll have a fresh Bucks intel to share with you. I get to see. Uh, I'm staying at good old NorCal, but the Bucks are coming through the Bay Area in the midweek on Wednesday night, and then they're coming up to Sacramento on Friday night. So uh, between those two games and having seen them in Milwaukee recently, uh, I'm getting a heavy dose of Bucks coming up here. So looking forward to it. Thank you, as always, to everybody for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the, uh, the the dive into both of our pieces on Kevin Love and Kyle Kuzma. Joseph, we'll talk to you next time, man. They got him. They got him, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Joe! Joe! <laughs> What's that help? Thanks, man. All right.